Hey, good afternoon. Welcome everybody to another episode of Just Two Dads. I am Brian Altunian, and here as always with my 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 gosh, Sean, I don't know what we can do it anymore. We're gonna we have to get really good at this. Like my my close friend, my partner in Thrive, my colleague, my family, uh, Sean Francis. It, literally, <laughs> our lives have become so intertwined now that uh, it's uh, an introduction doesn't even seem. To give it to give our relationship justice anymore. So yeah, anyways. there's people that finish right. each other's sentences, but right. we've found, especially earlier today, we were finishing each other's thoughts, which is really it was, like, was kind of crazy. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. So we're um, uh, excited as always to share with uh, our our audience uh, an amazing guest who's doing incredible work in the special needs community. Um, before I do that, I just wanted to uh, again welcome everybody. Thank you for spending some time with us. For those that are catching us on Facebook Live. Hello, and uh, please, you know, feel free to put your comments. We'll be able to see those comments uh, in there. Uh, for those who are listening to us on podcasts, we're now on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and Pandora, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, and every every place that there's a, a podcast outlet. So please feel free to catch our show there and uh, on our YouTube channel as well. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Share this content with as many people as you can. Um, we really want to to spend a lot of time uh, in outreach to the special needs community and provide a showcase and a platform for these amazing warriors who are doing such great work for our communities. And that work has the transcendent capability of reaching out to so many. And to, to talk about how how our, our world has expanded, um, we have, as we've been mentioning all year, in the beginning of the year, we have added uh, WSTX AM radio in the US Virgin Islands. And so for all of our listeners on the Virgin Islands, uh, Welcome. Uh, thank you for listening in and um, hope that uh, we're continuing to add value there. So uh, thank you all for your participation. And um, uh, I'm going to say that was it. Look, I, I try to keep it short uh, today. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to throw it over to my, to my co-host uh, and my close friend, Sean, Sean Francis. How are you doing today, Sean? I am doing well. I am, as always, uh, grateful, thankful, and uh, and blessed. And um, uh, again, uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in on the various platforms, as well as our YouTube channel, WSDX. And let's jump right into it. Our guest today is Mr. Doug Bletcher. Welcome, Doug. Thanks so much for having me. Most welcome. The pleasure is ours. Uh, we like to tell people that this is, you know, Technically, you know, you say our show, our show, but the, the, the truth of the matter is we have guests on here to make the show uh, theirs, to make it about them, to shine a light on the great work that they're doing in the special needs community. And Brian and I, I'm sure, you know, Brian will attest to this because I know that my, my wife and I have experienced this where people will say, oh my gosh, what you're doing is, you know, so great working as a uh, an activist or, um, um, you know, in the community, doing whatever you will for the special needs community as an advocate. But, you know, it's one thing, not necessarily better or worse, but it's one thing to be an advocate in a community that you are a member of by circumstance, as is the case with us as parents to uh, children that have special needs. It is another thing altogether to be a member of that community and an advocate in that community when you when you are a member by choice. And so I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that. And we like to start out with our guest you know, uh, everyone has the capacity within them to be a hero and every hero has an origin. So I don't know if you were bitten by a spider or if you came from another planet, but <laughs> tell us where your powers come from and what is it that led you to the path to serve this community, especially not being a member of it. Well, it's funny you just mentioned talking about another planet because a friend of mine uh, said yesterday, he said, I'm pretty sure you are from another planet. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're probably right. I'm just not aware of it. Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess my, my story um, in, the, in the autistic community um, it come, is about 20 years old now. Um, I had um, finished up at Ohio State with you know, a psych degree. And then I thought, well, what the heck do I want to do with the rest of my life? So right, I, I was looking for employment at the time in Columbus, Ohio. And I didn't really find anything for about six weeks or so. And then one day I saw a, an ad in the uh, local uh, paper, the Columbus Dispatch, about working with a, an autistic child in um, his, his home. And um, I thought, wow, that looks really interesting. I think I want to do that. So um, now keep in mind, at that time, I knew nothing about autism, never had met one autistic child, teen, adult, um, 
family that had any had um, someone on the spectrum. But um, I applied for the job, and for some reason, um, this family hired me, and I, you know, started working with this kid and um, loved every minute of it, and started working with um, other kids, and then. Eventually, I moved down to Cincinnati because my family was was li was living there, and um, and then I started working with with more kids. And this was about seven or eight years in, and I was finally getting good at what I was doing, supporting these kids, um, in in making progress in their lives. And then, you know, one day I thought, well, what happens when um, these kids become teens or adults? And so. In Cincinnati, I did some research and found out there was not a lot of support for adults there. Um, and then it just so happened that the Autism Society in Cincinnati um, contacted me right at the time and said, hey, Doug, would you be interested in facilitating our support group for um, autistic people that are 18 years of age or older? And I said, I said, perfect, perfect timing. I was just thinking about this. So. I did that for about three years, loved every minute of it. But the thing that frustrated me was that it just acted as a support group. And the fact that, you know, someone would come to the group and say, um, I, I want to find a job. I want to develop friendships. I want a romantic partner. Uh, my, my mom or dad are just really annoying me at home. Um, I want to learn how to drive, all these different all these different things. And I would give them feedback and the other autistic people would give um, feedback to them as well. And I'd feel really good about them leaving the group. But then what would happen was two weeks later, they'd come back and many people would be stuck in the kind of the same place, hadn't made a lot of movement on some of these things. And then I, and then it kind of was a light bulb moment. I remember like, oh, these people need the support that I'm giving kids just in different ways. So mm -hmm. that was kind of the beginning of where I decided I wanted to start a business, um, autism, and that's kind of where Autism Personal Coach started, where we're providing coaching, hard to find support for for teens and adults to kind of reduce their daily overwhelm and help them get mm -hmm. the things that they need and want in their lives. Wow. That's fantastic. I want to take what might be a little bit of a different approach at this point. I think some people might jump right into exactly the services that you provide and how you go about it. I want to do that. But before we do that, I want to take um, the dream selling uh, mode. I'm sure there's people here that are listening that have ideas as to things that they may want to do, things they want to uh, pursue, because th that's the real purpose of, of um, being here on, on the planet. That's the purpose of um, of of being. Period. Making yeah. something out of your life, and people have goals and dreams that they want to accomplish. So you have this idea. You're working in a job, and you you identify a need, and you are now able to um, ascertain that there's a business that you can create by providing an answer to this problem. How did you go about then doing that? Because I don't know if you had money saved, if you know exactly how that was going to be done, because you're an employee for a long time. So yeah. generally speaking, you know, you have to change your mindset to become a business owner. But then if, if you're at a stadium every day, you know, you're cleaning the stadium, whatever have you, that's that's one thing. But oh my gosh, how do you run the team? So how did, so, how did that go? So that so that's a, a great question, Sean. So part of my background during that time when I was in Cincinnati um, now here in Cleveland, Ohio, was that I ran, I ran a, I was the president of a nonprofit that supported family families um, that had autistic kids, and the purpose of this nonprofit was to um, have events, and we had a big conference um, in Cincinnati to for 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 people to find resources and things like that. But like we would have like a, a Halloween party once a year. We'd have a Christmas party at the in in uh, the location of where this nonprofit was located. And the purpose of that was because so many times it's so overwhelming to do those things. Um, you know, you know, in the community, even going to f other families' houses. So right. we tried to create that environment for them. So 
during that time, I've learned that a nonprofit needs to be run like a business. <laughs> um, otherwise, it's not going to survive. So that kind of that 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 two years of background, I kind of took with me with the idea of starting this business. Now, I had pretty much no money. Um, I, I didn't take out any loans or anything, just started it with my own money, coaching two, two people. Um, and then that kind of blossomed into, you know, the word kind of got out. I would, you know, it was a lot of word of mouth. I would connect with people in the community um, mm -hmm. here in Cleveland. And, you know, things just kind of spread. And now eight years later, we have about 13 coaches and we're providing coaching in about seven or eight different states. And we just had our, got our first international client in Canada. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now tell me this. So you begin it, you're coaching. Um, and Brian will tell you, I try to make sure that I limit, but I have so many things that come to my mind I'm trying to do one question at a time. Right. So yeah. At what point did you go from, well, here's the first question. Did, so you started out, I, I assume you're just doing these sessions out of your home um, and then eventually transitioned to a brick and mortar in, in a different you know, uh, facility or something like that or office space? Not, not exactly. So my, the concept of our model is that it's either in people's homes or somewhere in the community because so many times um, you're supporting someone in a location and then, then they have to use the skills somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. Makes so, sense. Yeah. So, for example, if someone, you know, for so many autistic people, like going grocery shopping or doing any type of right. shopping, overwhelming. So what we would do, so what I would do and my coaches would do is go grocery shopping with someone or plan to go grocery or plan with them in their home or meeting somewhere in the community where they wanted to meet mm -hmm. and, and, and develop a plan for that. Because so many times that there is a lack of plan, whether it's, you know, relating to shopping, whether it's relating to going to medical appointments, whether, right. you know, relating to school. And we, and a lot of what we do is kind of that planning, that executive functioning piece of things. That is great. That's fantastic. So, um, the next question is then how did you go from, I'm taking these clients on, I'm doing the coaching. Wait a minute. There's a lot of clients coming in. I need more coaches. <laughs> as, as so, I mean, initially my thought was, can we ever get big enough to where we'll need someone else to do the coaching beyond me? I, my, my philosophy is, is it's, it's not about me and it's about improving the lives of autistic people, uh, you know, the quality of that. And then if we can do that, maybe then we can, the quantity in terms of more people we can provide services to. So, mm. so as we, as the demand grew, then I, you know, for the first time in my life interviewed people. Um, and, you know, just so happens the first person that I hired is still with me seven plus years years later so that's fantastic I, yeah I, there, there were definitely mistakes i made in the interviewing process <laughs> let's not get that wrong but yeah they're gonna be a hundred percent correct but yeah so right. it's just like it was always i see this need and mm -hmm. let me do it good good and it's funny because my, my mindset today is about um personal development, growth, and advancement. Uh, I mean, it generally is, but especially today. So my, my questioning is going to be along those lines. And as you were talking about starting this, I thought, you know, everybody should do something they haven't done before. So yeah. you mentioned that the first person you interviewed was someone that you, you know, you had not interviewed anyone before, but yet that person is still with you. What was that experience like conducting the interview for the, you know, for the first time and um, uh, get, getting through that? So I think it was weird in the sense that it was almost like I had to get over the concept, like I have to like make a decision on someone else's employment. Like yeah. that was like, that was kind of like very stressful to me. Like that weight saying, on you. Yeah. A weight on me. And just saying, uh, just saying no to people was really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it was a struggle for me in that I have the ability to just kind of see the best in people. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to start this, because I want other people, you talk about dreams and potential and all that. 
I want people to be able to maximize their potential and get whatever the, you know, whatever they want or need in their life. So, so I, I, at times I saw the best, I definitely saw, can see the best in everyone, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I didn't see the barriers that people had in their lives to access that potential and made mistakes in hiring as a result, if that makes sense. It does. It does. It makes a lot of sense. So now let's kind of jump into what you, what it is exactly that you do do. I mean, you talked a little bit about uh, preparation for life skills, like uh, putting together a grocery list, you know, grocery shopping and stuff like that. Because, you know, in, in our case, I like to, and my wife always reminds me, like, don't think of limitations in terms of, um, you know, when it comes to our son. Um, with his, his, his eating in particular, you know, we're just always like, Oh, you never know what he's going to eat because his, his diet is very limited because he's picky because of texture. Uh, so you never know, put something in front of him. Uh, and, but at the same time, you know, I think about his independence with, um, with things like grocery shopping and, and, and it comes at you at different times. He's 14 and a half today. All of a sudden I got to thinking about hmm, him driving. There's a friend actually that posted, um, a video of them with their daughter um, getting her permit. And it got me to thinking all of a sudden, I was like, am I going to have that? And it wasn't that I know that I won't, that we won't. I just honestly tried to figure out like, how could that come about? So it got me to thinking of those different pieces. Touch on some of the stuff that you actually provide and help people with then. Yeah. So I guess in ter- so in terms of just like things like grocery shopping, other than just like planning to go there, it's one of the, you know, it's, it's a sensory nightmare. Um, when you walk yes. in, when you, when you walk into the grocery store, it's the loudest part of the store. It's very overwhelming. You got the cashiers. So in, in that planning, you know, with a lot of the people that we support, we're trying to support them in their sensory needs and trying to help them to, you know, some people are not aware of their sensory needs. Some people are very aware. So kind mm-hmm. of like, everything is individualized and coming up with like a plan to help each person meet those needs. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, things like having their, their sensory needs met, having, you know, help executive functioning challenges, um, helping people organize, you know, things like time management, money management, um, just step, you know, breaking a task down step by step, things like that are difficult. Um, Sometimes people will get stuck, um, maybe like going through an application because visually maybe it's just overwhelming or not quite sure how to answer the question. So that's kind of where you're meeting with your coach. Our coaching helps Mm -hmm. with 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 those sorts of things. Um, A lot of a lot of um, advocacy, um, you know, we kind of work through with um, people and, you know, that's really a big thing. You know, the people that we coach have as much language as you or I, but being able to advocate for yourself is a, a big challenge. We're all somewhere on the advocacy spectrum. Some right. people are too strong of an advocate. Um, some people are not strong enough of an advocate. And then in different situations, we fluctuate on, on that spectrum. I'm naturally probably not as strong of an advocate. So I've had to learn to be a stronger advocate for myself and being an entrepreneur has really kind of helped me in that area. I still have work to do, but uh, I've definitely um, a lot further along where, where I was eight years ago. I, I don't think people, let me say one, just say one thing. I, I don't think people who, who are outside of the special needs community really understand. I just wanted to go back to the whole <laughs> grocery stores experience. Mm-hmm. How much sensory overload exists in our world, in our just our regular day-to-day activities. Uh, you know, high traffic areas just outside can be overwhelming. Obviously, stores yeah. can be overwhelming. But well, um, yeah, just well, talk about that yeah. a little bit. So pre-pandemic, one of the most common things we do in our society is going out to eat, right? Yeah. Um, so that is probably one of the most overwhelming places um, to go. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> the kitchen, the people, all the people talking, um, you know, the, the busboy is getting the dishes, um, yeah. you know, like all those things. And I think what people don't understand is like, 
with people that have are hypersensitive to sound, like it's not just those sounds, which some could be like really loud or even like a baby screaming at a restaurant. So right. it's it's not always how loud the sound is, it's the pitch of the sound. And it's also being, maybe not being able to filter out those sounds. So imagine if you have all those different sounds going on and you're not able to filter those things out. It is, it is a very stressful thing. Now, like, for, and then another example, going back to the, the grocery store, just walking into the grocery store, the, the door opening, the, you know, the electric door opening is where the sounds start. And then the, then the cart is, right. is a sound. And then some of these carts don't work, so they're really loud. You know, it's like they rattle. It's just so frustrating when you yeah. don't get a, a good cart. Like, what the heck? That should that yeah. even be there. Um, and then as you're, and then you get your cart and you're walking in. Well, all the cash registers are up there. So the cashiers are talking to people. And then you have the conveyor belts with stuff, you know, going on. And the beeping noises from the conveyor belts. And that's, and you have to manage all of those sounds just to start shopping. So you're starting out in a place of you're really overwhelmed if you have, you know, the sensory needs relating to to sound. And we're not even getting into the, the lighting of grocery stores. Sure. And, the music. And, and, and things like that. Yeah, um, sure. And then we're not even getting into the visual aspects of all the choices we have, like how many different pastas there are, how many different choices of like cooking oil there are. Do we need 17 yeah. different pastas on the shelf? Is that really necessary? Right. right. You know, and then like things like, you know, you know, Sean, you were talking about your son with, you know, you know, texture wise. Well, sometimes there's changes in grocery stores in terms of this particular brand. Or the that, layout. The layout, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, maybe it doesn't. You know, maybe it doesn't. It, the store is not having that brand brand anymore, or the brand itself has changed the packaging you know, or something like that. Even been packaging, there, been like, there. and it, you know, like I've went with so many adults who are like, you know, they wanted to get this pasta, and they're like, "Wait, this pasta isn't here anymore because it's the red. It's the box with the red and the, and the blue on it." And then they. Right. And they change it to the blue and the green. And, and meltdown ensues if you're not careful. Yeah. And the meltdown ensues <laughs> because yeah. like, oh, wait a second. I like I literally can't eat if I don't get have these foods. Absolutely. Can I just, can I, can I say one thing to that too? It's interesting because my, my dad owned a grocery store and, and I grew up in a grocery store. So I I, you know, this kind of manufacturers don't even understand the impact that they have on their on their customers when they make a change and i'll just get to really quickly you know downy downy fabric softener which comes in that little blue bottle they used to have mm -hmm. a white cap and then they experimented and they put a pink cap on it and their sales plummeted and that's just and that's just neurotypical you know customers who are like don't like change when it comes to a brand or new mm -hmm. coke or any of that like manufacturers don't even understand the impact that they have i i, I can, can can't even imagine you know when you've got a a child on the autism autism spectrum that there's, there's you know some regiment some regimentation there that you're like ah oh, what do you mean you change the the label it's it's just a disaster and then and then there, I mean, there could be also so many other things that pop up, just even like with during the pandemic with all of like the changes in stores. And one of the crazy things is how they would have, um, you know, they would put arrows on the floor, you know, in terms of people can walk down this aisle this way and then, you know, and then you can come back a different aisle. But then what would happen was that non-autistics would not be following those rules. So then, you know, that would be like really stressful, <laughs> you know, so you, you've already changed the rules in terms of which aisles I can walk down. And then, yeah. and then those aisles, people are not following the rules. Wow. So, like, Doug, you, you mentioned earlier, you were saying that all of your clients are as verbal as you or I. Does that mean that is, is that, is that by choice? Is there, do you, so, do you have some that are nonverbal? We, yeah, we have some that have like used like AAC and things like that. And even okay. those that might have the language that you are, I have, um, you know, when they get overwhelmed, 
it, you know, it is tough to um, provide for them to provide that verbal communication. So right. sometimes even with them, we'll use, um, you know, other forms of, you know, we'll text or right. you know, they'll, they'll write, you know, write out notes, you know, whatever type of communication works best. I, I think that's one of the frustrating things is mm. that most of our communication is nonverbal anyway. Right. Um, so it's so frustrating how our society is so focused on that verbal communication. And it's yeah. almost like forced on people that they, they have to use that. So, so it's just a matter of how the numbers play out. You don't, you don't have a, a preference or limitation on whether the clients are verbal or nonverbal. You're able to accommodate either one then, correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The only the only times where we cannot necessarily support someone is when it becomes a safety issue. So, like for some people, we provide um, Zoom services. So this is maybe not as much of an issue for for them. But for the in person services that we provide, because of the nature, it's one on one. It's just the coach and the individual, and mm -hmm. say they're going out into the community. If that person might, you know, when they get overwhelmed, they might run or something. Oh, um, the eloping, yes. Yeah, yeah the eloping. Yeah. Or maybe they're overwhelmed, like, in the car, and they might for, you know, try to escape. Like, you know, for the safety of that person and for the coach, we're not a good fit in, in those types of, of situations. But, but for anyone else, like, yeah, yeah, for any other autistic person otherwise, mm -hmm no matter how much language they have, that's not, that's not a factor in. That's not a factor. Yeah. Like Good. we can support people effectively in, in all types of situations. So we, we talked about grocery shopping because that's one of the most common life um, things, you know, uh, but I, I imagine if I came to you and I was a client, uh, I was asking you about the services you provide, but it, is it fair to say that, what you provide is dictated by um, what the client may need. Some of them might say, well, look, there's an, this is the issue we're having with him, uh, him or her. These are the things that we'd like to uh, conquer or, you know, face or whatever the case might be. Is it di dictated that way or, or is there uh, any other type of approach or criteria that you have? It's always individualized. So people come to us with, you know, like, with different needs, but, you know, we've been doing this for eight years and we've had a, a lot of clients previous, you know, previously and currently. So there's probably about eight to 10 categories uh, of things that we do that almost anything that someone says, it kind of falls within, in those categories. So it, right. it, it you know, can be, um, self-advocacy, you know, executive functioning things, um, supporting mm -hmm. people's sensory needs, helping people um, in high school or college um, to be more successful. And it's not so much we help them as tutoring, but it's more helping them to connect with people at, you know, in high school or college or, or plan to study or to advocate to help them to find people um, to help them to understand material. A lot of times we help people develop a transportation plan that works for them. So mm. helping people to learn to, to drive or if, if that's not realistic, um, public transportation and maybe public transportation, it might not be safe for them. So then maybe we try to help them to navigate Uber and Lyft or to help them to advocate to people in their support network for for transportation, and then wow. uh, and then other things we do is we've helped people to transition from living at home with their with their parents or or their guardian into um, more um, interdependent living. And I say the I, I don't use the word independent because none of us live independently. We right. we we have some amount of independence and then we count on other people for certain things. Like I certainly count on my wife, my partner for, for certain things that yeah. I myself am not very good at. Mm, yeah. I was just going to say for anybody who's just joining us now, we're, we're talking to Doug Bletcher, uh, autism personal coach. And, and in fact, on his website, autismpersonalcoach.com, you can find, um, he outlines the services and, 
um, the work that they're doing. And they're, you're in how many states now, Doug? Seven states, that what you said? Yeah, about seven or eight. We provide Zoom, Zoom coaching. Um, and for anyone that's anywhere, we could um, provide that coaching. Um, if, they, if, you know, if they think that that would be beneficial to them. I'd say probably about, of the people that we coach, probably about 80 to 85% right now, are, we're providing that type of coaching because we found that that does work um, better than, than I initially ever would have thought seven or eight years ago for, for people. Wow. You're in, uh, so you're in Cleveland. Uh, Brian and I are out here in, in, in Los Angeles and um, Southern California, the state of California as a whole is very progressive in terms of um, services and things like that that are available, whether it's, you know, ABA, respite and so on. In your service, especially when it comes to things like grocery shopping, um, whether it's, you know, I don't know if you're helping them adjust to being able to go to a restaurant and deal with sensory stuff then. Do you have members or, or, or local businesses in the, in the community that are cooperative? Um, like for instance, as you were think, talking about the grocery store, I got to thinking, you know, how cooperative is the grocery store? Do they know that there's someone coming in that may have um, a sensory, um, you know, issue or need or whatever are they sensitive to that is there a cooperation that you have with them with regard to those types of trips so yes and no so they, they normally don't if there's if there's some type of accommodation we think could be helpful to mm -hmm. the, the person then one of our coach their coach might reach out to the grocery store or to the restaurant but we also like in addition to our coaching we um, provide monthly kind of like social opportunities for people, um, events. Um, and prior to the pandemic, we would have, like, for example, we would have monthly dinners here in Cleveland and also in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we would mention things like before going into, into the restaurant, uh, you know, about certain things. Um, but it, it is difficult just because of the nature of, the of their of this of those locations to make um too many accommodations just because of the way they're built and, and set up right um, you know if, they, yeah yeah if they don't accommodate in a formal sense just out of curiosity because you know you try not to take for granted that things are everywhere the way they are where you are and the one thing that we found is especially pre-covid um you know my son would have a routine as to where he would go. There'd be places that, sure. you know, we'd go get something to eat. And there's certain stores you might go to get some candy or some treat or something like that. And he has to use the restroom at like each one of those places. He knows how the toilet works, the gallons per, per flush, all that kind of stuff. And as we're going from one portion of the store to the other, or even in and out of it, he has to be the one to, you know, make sure that the door opens. And if somebody messes with the rhythm of the door opening or his path, he's like, you know, you went from first getting upset. No, 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 no. Oh my gosh. They've broken it up to just standing there waiting. And I'd have to explain to people, no, you just go ahead. And over time, the people that worked in the store were very accommodating, you know, and some of them to the point where I had to kind of make sure that they struck a balance between, you know, keeping it real and not being too accommodating because he'd have certain individuals that he would want to ring him up at a specific register and then after a while, he had them wrapped around his finger too. And they'd be like, oh, I'll, I can get off of this register. You know, so I don't know if there's that level of, you know, cooperation or assistance or anything like that. Do you see anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, the, there has been, I guess it's, you know, depends on the restaurants. Like sometimes like, you know, restaurants have this really annoying um, thing. And I don't know why our society feels the need to be playing music. Um, at, at restaurants, at, like any restaurant, playing background music. But like we've asked, you know, like can you can you ter possibly turn off the music or lower or lower or lower it? Um, we've asked about lighting. We've asked about spots in the restaurant where it isn't as loud um, or people wouldn't be walking by. Um, it's a little bit more private, you know, things, right. things like that. You know, we we've asked for. Restaurants have usually been accommodating. Other times they've kind of like looked at us crazy, like why we would be asking for, for that. Yeah, um, yeah. And I tried to explain, and if they still didn't get it, um, it's kind of like how we've talked to, 
to with people about employment. Um, like if we're disclosing this thing and they're still not that accommodating, do we really want to be there in the first place? Right. Mm. It's kind right. of like when people just where we have conversations about people, um, whether they want to disclose um, in an interview or not. Um, mm -hmm. If if you disclose that information and they and that causes them not to hire you, do you really want to be working in that place right. to begin with? So right. that's kind of how that goes. Listen, in, La in Los Angeles, the accommodation, I mean, you know, I don't think my mother ever sat at a table she was seated at in a restaurant for years. Uh, every time she sat down, she was like, uh, yeah, this isn't going to work. Can you put me in some like so, you know, certain <laughs> restaurants are used to dealing with if they're used to dealing with my mother, they're used to dealing with you know, making accommodations. And if they don't, you're right. Is that a restaurant you want to you want to patronize? Um, but but it is interesting. And we had, I think, our, our very first guest. We had a we had a a, a gal, a Layla Luna, on our show. Who I was thinking was of very, her. Yeah, she she uh, her her son was on the autism is on the autism spectrum as well, and she had an experience at a restaurant where um, the restaurant asked her to to take her family and leave the restaurant because patrons were were complaining, and um, she has a big advocate of trying to create a you know, a national standard for creating, you know, training for, for organizations, as, as Sean was kind of alluding to, restaurants and grocery stores and that type of thing to to get some training on how to accommodate, you know, folks that have some, maybe some sensory, uh, some sensory issues. And then even carving out for a restaurant, it's easy. And, I, and, I, and I, if you know that there's a particular time of the afternoon where it's kind of slow business-wise, you can actually carve out a section of the restaurant and a time and then, and then, you know, advertise that like, you know, friendly, you know, family friendly for, you know, folks who might have some sensitivity around that. Uh, so, you know, we're, well, I get it. I mean, we're talking really about inclusion. You know, this is where the general grand society has to look at inclusion for families that have issues. Because interestingly enough, if, if whether you have a child that's on the, on the spectrum or a child that's dealing with some special needs issues, as we get older, we have certain accommodations that we, you know, that we, we want to request. I can't imagine, you mm -hmm. know, going to a ball game, you know, when we're back going to ball games, but, you know, live and the crowd noise and all of that, how, you know, how, how that is for anybody who has any sensitivity around, you know, around sen sensory issues. Um, and so, you know, the idea of, of inclusion, I'm just going on a rant here, I don't know why, but, but inclusion for this community really extends beyond the special needs community. And, you know, we're, we're big fans of supporting that, any effort that will provide education for, for those organizations to be able to um, make sure that, that this community, which is significant, is taken care of. Um, because I think the easy way out is to just, you know, let the families do it on your own. Sean, I'm sure that you've dealt with you know, restaurants that could have cared less about your personal situation. They serve their serve food and you're there to eat it. And, you know, I've, de I've dealt with some of that, but it's funny. I was going to, and I could, I don't know if we could do a whole show on this. I know I could, but the, I, I think that, and this will, this is going to be as true as it is corny and Doug, I'm curious as to what you think of this, especially with your experience. But I, I think that we tend to get a lot of what we give and or expect. Because my, to say that my experience or our experience is not without um, judgment or somebody, you know, making us feel bad or, you know, leaving an establishment just feeling defeated, it is the minority. The majority of it, we found people to be very, very accommodating. And I can't say that I'm just like Captain Mantra and I just expect everything to be positive, but I, I'm a little surprised when it isn't that way. And so having gotten some of that, I try to make sure that I, you know, project that even though, you know, there's been times when there's a whole lot of anxiety and you're like, oh gosh, I just don't know how this is going to go. And, you know, and then we tend to complicate it too, because the thought is, look, we're going to go. And if it doesn't work, we'll leave, you know, and sometimes that's easier said than done. But, you know, um, I think I, we've been lucky for the most part. And a lot of it has been me personally to the point where I don't care how many people are looking when there's a meltdown that that takes place. This is our experience. And I had to grow into that too. But what's your experience been like, Doug? Have you found that, you know, and again, this is limited primarily to the the, the Cleveland um, area, but, you know, have, have you found more um, businesses to be understanding of some kind or the, the latter? I mean, you know, um, 
otherwise or what, it, what, what what's your experience been? Yeah, I, I, th I think so. I think businesses are understanding. I think they, they are definitely, uh, I think, I think it's probably the exception, not the rule that they have a, you know, would not honor some of, you know, these requests and, and accommodations. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, I think sometimes they just don't know, you know, and it's, it's your job to, you know, it's, it's certainly my job, my coach's job to kind of educate them. Um, and it's then all our it, jobs, it's all our jobs, right? Yeah. And yeah. Advocates. Yeah. Advocates. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, I don't think that they want, um, you know, parents that have kids with, you know, with a disability or any disabled adults leaving the restaurant and not returning because they were not, um, honoring their, you know, their accommodations. And then what I, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, sometimes that's not true, but, but then I, you know, what I've seen other times is when, you know, other customers will say something, um, you know, the, the manager will come out and speak to that, those, those people and say, look, you know, this is the situation. Um, and, you know, if they're not listening to the parent or the disabled person that is dealing with, with that, that stress or trying to say, look, look, I'm autistic. This, you know, this is very overwhelming to me what's happening right now. If they're not really listening to them, then they, then they seem to usually listen to um, a manager or someone else, you know, one of the employees there. Sometimes people mm -hmm. are just jerks, um, and you know I've I've words to to describe them. <laughs> I, I don't want to say on a, 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 yeah. our, our show right now, this live show. Uh, but yeah. but yeah, I mean those are just kind of you know things that you know just sometimes happen. Yeah, interesting. Oh. Yeah. Um, uh, Sean, talk about a view to mind. Ask, I, I don't maybe, I mean, hey, let's get some free coaching. I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but Sean, just, I, maybe you had this conversation with Doug, you know, prior to, to, to getting on the show, but, um, but Elijah has been having some interesting um, changes in his sleep pattern, which has impacted the entire family. Have you guys, I don't know if you guys had that conversation. Will you talk, you want to talk about that a little bit with Doug and just kind of, you know, just to give we people didn't, a sense We didn't talk about that, but yeah, from a general standpoint, you know, and I don't know if that's something that you, you know, work with because that happens, you know, as, as you know, for those that, you know, may or may not be aware, boys produce less, mel less melatonin than girls. Yeah. Uh, and a disruptive sleep pattern is part of the autism experience anyway, but more so with boys than with girls. And so we've gone through that in terms of, ups and downs and highs and lows and everything. So if you're, you know, is that something, cause it seems like you generally deal with the transition piece in terms of independence, but is that something that you coach somebody uh, through uh, as well? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, okay. certainly no, we're certainly no sleep experts, but what we do a lot of times is help people to develop um, healthy habits, um, help people to develop routine. Um, because as I heard one autistic person um, say once, um, routine is the foundation of the autistic experience. So having an import, having a sleep routine is yeah. really that that works for that person. And again, it's something that's individualized is is essential because if you don't, if any of us humans do not have good sleep, we're pretty much screwed. You know. Yeah. The next yeah. day, like, forget it. Like, what, what you said is important too. Good. So you're talking about quality, not necessarily just the quantity. Because I know personally, I can get eight hours of crappy sleep, and the next day, I'm just like, <laughs> uh, and then I get like five to six hours of deep sound sleep, and I'm like, you know, just it, it's it's like night and day. Uh, right. It really makes it really makes a big difference. So what are and again, I'm digging a little, and you mentioned it's very individualized, but yeah. what are some of the things that you suggest for somebody that is in a situation like that where maybe parents are trying to come up with a routine, trying to come up with a habit, maybe to yeah. the point of medication, you know, who knows what, but you, but the pattern is better, but still just, uh, you know, a little yeah. erratic. So for example, in this situation, so I always say with our coaching, we never start with answers. We always start with questions. Questions. I love and that. And 
the the our client and also their support network are we need we want to use their expertise to help come up with with an individualized answers so right. for, you know so thinking about sleep some of the things that we think about because you know so many of the people we coach um have challenges with sleep whether it's getting to sleep or Waking Being up, asleep. yeah, and staying asleep, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I don't have to yeah. tell you about that, I'm sure. Yeah. So, so I guess the thing, you know, something I would be is would want to know is what is these, what is family sleep history? So, is there any anyone in the family that have had some of those um, issues before? You know, it's a, I'm going to tell you this value. I, I value us being able to do this generally, Brian and I. This format and everything. Um, I value the time of each guest. I value yours, but I'm going to tell you something that you will really appreciate. Yeah. There's a variety of people that we have spoken to that have given us some good information and everything. That is a question that I don't believe we have been asked before, but it's so simple that it's like right there in <laughs> front of you. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's tremendously, that's huge. The, the reason I asked that question is because if, if, you know, sometimes people, like you said, sometimes people just don't look at like the, the, the most, you know, simple things that are right in front of them because sure. there is um, a, a history uh, of family sleep, then getting a sleep study. We've had a lot of people we've supported. It's not a fun experience at all. Um, it doesn't seem like it. No, no. Hell no. <laughs> I've, consi I've considered it for myself for just some um, some other reasons and health things that I was going through. And I, yeah. and it was like, visited it and kind of like, mm, it, it, because the other thing is with everything else that we've been dealing with as far as the, the, the erratic patterns and everything, I don't know that they would get what they want because in order to get what they want, you need to be asleep for a certain period of time too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, and, but, but, I've seen these sleep studies be helpful, and then it's led to some diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, um, some of our our people we coach end up using CPAP machines that have been really helpful. Um, you know, so you know something like that is you know just kind of one of those basic things that we look at initially. You know, with sleep routine, and then kind of look at like you know, like I've used melatonin myself. You know, we ask you know things like that. Um, in terms cherry. of cherry, yeah, <laughs> Cher there, cherry. Oh, cherry, there you go. Sean. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, blue, blue, blueberry too. It's, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's good, good also. Hilarious. You know, um, other things like, for example, um, that's been helpful to some people is, you know, talking about people's sensory needs using a weighted blanket. Um, Got one of those. Yeah, you know, there you go. They're great. Oh my That's, god! Matter of fact, we got one of those. That are, <laughs> yeah. Neurotypical kids. They were like, "Wait a minute, is is Elijah using his blanket? Can I?" You know, and so you know, I've so never kids so bought well. one. Yeah, yeah, I've never slept so well using a heavy blanket that I bought for my son. Go oh, ahead. fantastic! Yeah, yeah I, I have a twenty pound weighted blanket. It's great. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> so amazing! I know it's heavy. It's heavy, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I've slept better um since getting that weight like so things like that you know yeah. like even like thinking about like you know for myself the, the best um sleep i get is when i'm in hotels because it's really dark in hotel rooms and they have the, the blackout curtains so yeah. thinking about you know the light that comes in um also you know thinking about all different things like you know their diet and maybe like are they you know soda consumption or or in my case coffee consumption Right. Um, you know, you know, so there's all these different factors and, mm -hmm. and, you know, sometimes like we've had people that get like white, white noise machines that really help them because they, uh, yeah. you know, just because of their sa sound sensitivities and anxieties, you know, just hearing any bit of noise outside can be like really alarming and, right. and can wake them up. So there's all, I mean, we could spend, um, just a show, Sean, uh, just talking about <laughs> just the sleep. Oh, easily. We, yeah. And you know what? I think it's funny for anybody else that's watching and they have kind of the same question. The one thing I, I, I got from you that's valuable is that we're on the right track, even in the areas where we might not have answers or solutions. And you just have to be 
and this is why I love my wife. Her thought is like, okay, well, let's try this. All right, we try this. Did it work? Okay, let's adjust this thing. All right, if that thing did, let's scrap that. Let's try something else. And you just keep going and you keep doing that, you know, until you find the thing that works. So for anybody that's going through that, um, that's something to keep in mind. Tell me something. What is the biggest challenge that you have faced in your situation? Because, you know, in your business, because it seems like you've probably got a handful of clients that came in um, and as a result of their um, their diagnosis or disability or whatever the case might be, have some some challenges and you probably got some good stories about um, things that you've helped them to conquer and help them along their way and increase their in- level of independence. What are some of the most challenging ones that you've had or somewhere maybe they went away not significantly changed or improved? And in those cases, um, what did you learn from that? So I would say there's two actually. So one's from the actual client. And then for clients that have family members involved, there's something from, from families um, that, I, you know, that, that it's been a challenge. Um, so from the, from the client themselves is a lot of times people are not ready for coaching when they start with us just because they don't know what being autistic means to them. They've heard a lot of things. Mm. They've heard a lot of things from society. They Meaning the client them, themselves. So someone has been, say, I'm on the spectrum diagnosed with with autism, but depending on my experience, I might not have identified what being on the autism spectrum means to me. Yeah, because because you know there's the, there's the famous saying, you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. So you being diagnosed um, with autism and me being diagnosed are going to be two diff- different things. So what does that right. mean for you, Sean? And right. what does that mean for me? Um, so just even like, just even taking that example, how that would be different for us yeah. is we're both, say we're, we're both autistic. You're, and, and, and being, aut- being autistic, you have a marginalized identity. You're marginalized in the society that we live in. You have more challenges than a non-disabled person dealing, yeah. you, know, you know, just challenges of being autistic and then just the challenges of the way society treats us. But then also as, you know, a black person or any person of color, there is that challenge as well. So right. like, for example, we have groups to, we have an autistic black um, indigenous and person of color group because the, the experiences of autistic people of color are going to be different than autistic white people. <laughs> you know something? Yeah. Here's what's so amazing about you saying that. Um, I met someone on social media who has a, a nonprofit based on that. Uh, she's mm-hmm. an African-American. Um, and so it, it, it is based on that experience. So I would like to tell you that, you know, my son is 14 and a half. He was diagnosed at the age of three. Um, you know, my wife is Mexican, but if you see him, you know, he'll identify as, as, as black, even though people would say that he's quote unquote mixed, whatever the case might be. But all these years with that diagnosis, you would think that I might've thought of those differences a long time ago. I'd be lying because I don't know if it's because you're just so focused on what's right in front of you. But when I met this uh, person, this lady on, on Instagram that had, um, her, her, her group. And we were trying to, you know, talking about possibly doing some things together. I wasn't even necessarily sure of what the differences, you know, might be. I've thought of situations as it, as it pertains to maybe interacting with police or something like that. But when I learned where she was, she happened to be in Florida and right away that my perspective shifted a little and I got to thinking of, okay, that would be different. Just like it would be different at a certain age. So that's, that's, that's tremendous that you have that within your organization. Thank you. I just want to jump to to one thing because we're getting close to our time. As I said, you know, every it's amazing. It flies every by. Show which goes by really quick. It fly by. So, right. <laughs> right. I told you because it goes quickly. So a couple things. I just want to uh, like take a minute here. I'm going to put some some um, some links up on the screen here for people to see who are watching um, the podcast that you do because you have podcasts on your site. You yes. want to just introduce those podcasts so I know there's the info dump files. You want to talk about yeah. these really briefly. So the- the Info Dump Files, I co-host with the phenomenal Becca Laurie Hector. She's an, an, an autistic woman. And that podcast is about 
focusing on artistic interests or the special interests or passions of autistic people. Because so many times we talk with, with you know, we talk about these serious things and the challenges of autistic people, but we don't talk about things that, you know, brings them joy or things mm -hmm. like that. And these interests are so beneficial in so many ways to people on the spectrum, whether it brings employment or it helps reduce overwhelm or it helps them to develop friendships or find romantic partners. So that's kind of what this podcast is about. It's just a fun um, 45 minutes to an hour, uh, me and Becca, and we talk to uh, different guests each time. Nice. So that's info dump, info dump files. We've put the link on the chat uh, here on the screen and also down below. But it's basically it's a it's a https colon you know backslash backslash it's anchor.fm slash info dump files d u m p info dump so that's awesome and then and then you've got another here that's the that's autism stories it's an autism yeah. stories podcast yeah so th this was the original podcast I just do this myself um, as the host and right. we just launched our hundred fifteenth episode and it's just Fantastic. talking with um, it's turned into um, talking into a, a different autistic person every Monday um, to learn from their stories, experience, and get their advice. Because while professionals, um, you could learn a lot about aut autism professionals, you can learn about family members. The people that I learn more, most about autism are autistic people because they are the true experts of the autistic experience. So we just talk with them about these experiences and they you know, give some amazing advice. That's fantastic. And I would say for anybody, rather than me spelling it out, go to autismpersonalcoach.com to find these podcasts. There's one more that you talk about. I'm going to put it up on the screen for those who are viewing. It's intersections on the spectrum. Yeah. So um, talk, yeah, talk yeah. about that a little bit. So kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier, there's, you know, being autistic, there's, there's many different intersections. And one of those you know, some of those intersections are being black, indigenous, or being a person of color. So we have a lot of those conversations on this podcast. A lot of those intersections are relating to another marginalized identity, which is being part of the LGBT community. So we, so we have, you know, autistic people that are also part of the LGBT community. We have a lot of those conversations as well on this podcast, as, as, as well as talking to autistic people that are also in all these, uh, you know, come from different cultures and what is being autistic like, you know, you know, in, in that culture. Interesting. Uh, fascinating. I'm going to pull this off the screen uh, again. You know, Doug, we could again spend another hour talking about <laughs> things, and and I know Sean's like dying to talk more. Hopefully, you guys. And this is a great opportunity for us, as Sean and I have talked about. And Doug, I mentioned this earlier. You know, doing some additional um, uh, bonus content, if you will, additional content that we're going to make available on our YouTube channel. There might be opportunity for you to have, you know, some interesting conversation. I say the two of you because Sean is dealing with, you know, with, with Elijah, with his autism, you know, um, obviously those are issues that are, that are near and dear to his heart, near and dear to my heart too, but I don't experience them on a daily basis or a nightly basis. As Sean does. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with that, I'll, I'll, we'll begin to wrap the show up. Doug, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, um, for being here and sharing what you do. I'm excited to, that, you know, that this community has the kind of help, and support that you're providing. I'm hoping that you become wildly successful and you have opportunity to coach folks all over the country, um, you know, and, and once the pandemic is over, more in-person stuff as well. So thank you for your time. I want to thank our, you know, folks who have listened in today, those who have caught us live on Facebook. Thank you for joining us. Um, anybody who's catching us on the YouTube channel, thank you. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, share this content with as many people as you can so we can broaden our, the reach of our village. Thank you to my daughter, Jordan. Joe jo is always on and always taking, uh, taking part in this conversation. So Grateful to her, grateful to Sean Hall, who um, has got some sporadic internet <laughs> duties, but is still participating and, and dropping stuff in the chat for people to see. Um, thank you, Sean in Hawaii, our, our great friend, Sean Francis, as always. Thank you. Um, I think the one thing, Doug, that I always say at the end of the show is that this is all about, uh, you know, it's all about empathy and love. Uh, we didn't get to our question, Sean. Um, it's all about empathy and love in this community, in this world, in our society. So please share empathy and love with as many people as you can. 
now more than ever. So Sean, yeah. you want to wrap us up? I don't know if you want to. Yes. Do yes. We can do it really, really quick. Doug, I have a question that we usually close out with before I usually send us on our merry way. Sure. Think of a belief that you held dearly and firmly, even had a, you know, part of your being that you have since um, done a complete about face on something you held dearly that you no longer believe. I, it's a really interesting question. And I guess the thing that pops into my mind is I don't think I was ever, ever believed in kind of like the energy slash kind of like psychic medium. And I guess re recently what I've really learned is how important energy is and mm -hmm. how be having that type of you know, positive energy and focusing on things that truly make you happy can really um, galvanize your life. So you know, Fantastic. it's easy to it's easy to complain about any any anything, um, and certainly there's reasons, legitimate reasons to, but just yeah. trying to find kind of the the positive energy in in anything is really what I've been trying to focus on. Great. Excellent. The whole reason for asking that is to remind people and for them to see examples of the importance of change, the value in change. And it's so easy because we were talking earlier about creatures of, of habit as we are as human beings. This is what I do. That's just what I know. That's just what we do. We are here to grow and progress. And our ability to change and remain open to new ideas allows us to be able to do the following, which I will close out with as I always do, which is to remember that somebody someplace needs to know that they matter. Everybody needs to know that you care. Somebody needs to know that they were, that they're heard and that they're seen. And with that said, I want to thank the women in my life as I always do. My mom, Jan, and my amazing wife, Laura. I would not be able to be who I am or attempt to even be who I hope to become without them. And again, thank you everyone for tuning in. We will see you next time. And Doug, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Sean. Yep. And if any, anybody who's watching or listening, we love you. Thank you so much. We love you. Thank you.